والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن وله قال رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم زدنا علما All praise and thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Peace and salutations upon Muhammad ibn Abdullah Salawatullahi wa salamuhu alayhi Peace and salutations upon his family, upon his friends And upon all those who try to emulate him until the end of time So continuing our hadith Known as the hadith of Jibreel He says Qala fa'akhbirni anil ihsan Qala Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam An ta'bud allaha ka'annaka tarahu Fa'in lam takun tarahu Fa'innahu yarak So he asked the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Inform me about ihsan The Prophet peace be upon him He answered and he said It is that you should serve Allah As though you could see him For though you cannot see him Yet he sees you and this implies that there are three levels in Islam. The level of Islam, and we discussed that already. The level of Iman, and we discussed this as well. And the level of Ihsan, as was alluded to in the discussion on the concept of Iman. So the word Ihsan in the dictionary, you'll find that it means doing well, or doing good to someone. Right? Behaving well and behaving in a good manner with the next person. Right? So this is Ihsan. And the opposite of Ihsan is to cause harm to someone else. This is the linguistic meaning of the word Ihsan. Right? To do good to someone, to be a muhsin. However, the word also implies perfecting something or doing something in the best particular way. This is perhaps closer to what is meant by the word Ihsan in this hadith. So in this hadith, the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he did not give us the dictionary definition of Ihsan, to do good. But instead he explained the main motivating factor behind Ihsan or goodness and excellence. This is the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching one's actions. So this is part of our belief. That Allah azza wa jal is well aware of everything that we do. So if the heart right, is aware of that fact, of the fact that Allah is all aware of what you are doing, then this person will hope to please Allah and fear displeasing Allah. If we have it in our heart that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fully aware of what we are doing, then what is this going to create? It's going to create that we obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 24-7. And we stay away from every single thing that is displeasing to our Creator. 
And this is also going to bring purity in one's heart. And the Prophet wasallam he mentions and he says that know that in the body there is a piece of flesh. Allah فَإِنَّ فِي الْجَسَدِ مُدْغَ إِذَا صَلَحَتْ صَلَحَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ أَلَا وَهِيَ قَلْبٌ He says that in the body there is a piece of flesh. And if this piece of flesh is correct, this piece of flesh is right, it is correct, then the whole body will be correct. But if this piece of flesh is not correct, right? it has all types of illnesses. And here we're not talking about physical illness. We're talking about spiritual illnesses. Hasad, jealousy, right? pride, kibar, malice, hatred. Then what's going to happen? then this whole body is going to show that as well. Then the Prophet said, and lo and behold, that this piece of flesh is what? It is the heart. And when ikhlas, when sincerity or purity is present in the heart, then he will do what he can for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake. If we have sincerity in our hearts, and we are sincere, and we do everything for the sake of Allah, then we will be able to do everything that we do for His sake. You help someone for the sake of Allah. You good to someone for the sake of Allah. You give for the sake of Allah. You love for the sake of Allah and you hate also for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This also means that he will try to do everything in the best possible way. He makes salah in the best way. Pays zakah is best of his wealth. Fast in the month of Ramadan or outside the month of Ramadan, the best fast. And like this, everything of a believer, if he is a true muhsi, he has true ihsan, will be the best possible way. He will be concerned about the quality of his deeds. He's not going to make salah just up and down. He's not just going to fast haphazardly. Go on hajj and just take all the shortcuts. But he's also going to be good to people. He's going to honor people. This is all part as well and parcel of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as well. And his ihsan will bring that his inward self is excellent as well as his outward self. Both of this will be excellent. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he answered and he said, it is that you worship Allah as if you see him. And even though you do not see him, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sees you. The believers and the muhsinin, right? they differ quite a bit in the levels that they reach, depending on the levels of, of iman and ihsan. 
The loftier position is known as Al-Mushahada, personal witnessing. This is not the real scene of Allah, but a strong feeling in a one's or in one's heart. This is where the realization of Allah's presence by His knowledge and mercy is so great that the person practically witnesses Allah in front of him. But he doesn't see Allah. Right? Remember this. He won't, he won't see Allah in this dunya. This is left for when? Ru'yatullah is for the akhirah. And more of Ihsan will be explained under the hadith number 17. He then says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Qala fa'akhbirni anissa'a. Qala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then says, Mal mas'oolu anha bi'a'lama minas sa'il. Qala fa'akhbirni an amaratiha. He says, inform me about the awa, meaning the day of resurrection, when is Qiyamah. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, about that the one question knows no more than the questioner. Meaning what? That Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he doesn't know when the awa is going to come. So he says, فَأَخْبِرْنِي عَنْ أَمَارَاتِهَا So inform me about its signs. In the narration from Ammara ibn Ammar ibn Al-Qa'a The question is explicitly stated as When is the hour? It is to that question that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's response is directed Furthermore, in the narration of Abu Farwa, it is also mentioned that the Messenger of Allah lowered his head and he did not respond. The angel repeated the question thrice and the Prophet ﷺ then raised his head and responded, The one being asked does not know more than the one who is asking. This response is not meant to imply that the two of them were equal in some knowledge concerning the occurrence of that day. Instead, <coughs> it was meant to say that this knowledge is something that Allah has kept to Himself and has conveyed to no one else. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ that verily Allah with him alone is the knowledge of the hour. And he alone sends down rain. And he knows that which is in the wombs. And no person knows what he will earn tomorrow. وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيْهِ أَرْضِ تَمُوتِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ And no person knows in what land he will die. You don't know where you're going to die. إِنَّ اللَّهَ And indeed Allah عَلِيمٌ خَبِيرٌ 
that Allah is the all-knower and He is the all-aware. I'd like you to draw or to draw your attention where Allah says in this verse, And none knows or only Allah knows alone that which is in the wombs. So now you might say yes, but if we go for ultrasound, then we know. But can that ultrasound say when that baby is going to die? Can the ultrasound say how much risk that person is going to get in their life? No. So this is what the ulama is, says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything. Right? And I think the next hadith or the hadith after that we're going to deal with the fetus itself and the womb etc. But what do we look at in this verse? That إِنَّ اللَّهَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمُ That He alone has knowledge of the hour. So one should note how the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, responded to the question. At that time, as shall be discussed below. The Messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not aware that the questioner was Jibreel. The Prophet ﷺ at this time, he did not know that this was Jibreel. However, his response was in a general form and its meaning is no one being questioned about this matter will have any more knowledge concerning it than anyone who may ask such a question. Meaning no one, you can go ask whoever you want to in this dunya. Right? So what it means? That no one is going to know when the hour is going to come except who? Except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is no one of mankind will ever have knowledge of when the day of resurrection will occur. Hence, anyone who claims to have such exact knowledge is either a blatant liar or he is a deluded fool. No one can know. And don't be fooled. So you will find that certain people, they claim to know when it's going to be. How can you claim this? The Prophet ﷺ didn't know. And this also proved that the Prophet ﷺ, he did not have knowledge of the unseen except the knowledge that Allah gave him in certain things. So yes, he predicted certain things, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But to have full knowledge of ilmul ghaib, he never had this. And this again is a refutation of who? Of certain extreme Sufi sects. Right? Okay. So here you will find that amongst the Barilwi Sufiya. Right? They believe that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he has knowledge of the unseen and other groups as well. So he said, tell me about about its signs. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he answered. And here he gave the importance or he gave some of the signs of the hour. <coughs> no one can know when the day of judgment will occur. <coughs> However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through his mercy, 
has taught his messengers some of the signs that alert one to the fact that the hour is approaching. These signs, they play a very important role, especially for those who live at a time distant from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and who did not experience his teaching firsthand and his examples. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he says, Antalidal amatu rabbataha wa anta ral hufatal uratal alata ri'a ashai yatatawaluna fil bunyan thumman talaka falabithtu maliyya. He said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, they are that a slave girl will give birth to her, to her mistress, and that you will see the barefooted ones, the naked, the destitute, the herdsmen of the sheep, competing with one another in raising lofty buildings. The signs of the hour can, divided, can be divided into two types. Major signs and minor signs. Some of the ulama that say that all the signs they are major. First are those that occur as part of the changes in everyday life. The second are the extraordinary or supernatural events that will occur just before the actual hour. For example, the sun will rise in its opposite direction. That is major supernatural. We wake up tomorrow, right? Sun not gonna change. Right? Opposite. We don't know that. But most probably, because the sun will come in its opposite direction, closer to the, or extremely close to the sign of the hour when they blow the trumpet. Now. Yes. Yes. Correct. Even if they Islam, won't No, because then the hour is blown. Once the trumpet is there, it's blown. Oh, you're not talking about the trumpet. No, there's still signs, there's still time. Because remember the hadith says that one can embrace Islam until when? Till then? Yes. And there's the other hadith that says until the sun rises in its opposite direction. So once the sun has risen in its opposite direction, it's finished. That's what I mean. Yeah, then you can't. No. No, then you can't. No. No. So the Prophet ﷺ in his reply, he said, we only mentioned some of the signs of the former category. Perhaps Allah knows best. This is because these are the signs that have much more of an effect on one's ihsan in every day worship although the recognition of these signs are sometimes more difficult or subtle the hour refers to the last day or the day of judgment there are a number of explanations for why it is called the hour some says that it is called the hour because it will last for a very long time it will be established su- suddenly 
to the point that a person who is holding some food in his hand will not be able to taste it. For example, Allah says in the Quran, فَهَلْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَّا السَّاعَةِ أَنْ تَأْتِيَهُمْ بَغْدَةً فَقَدْ جَاءَ أَشْرَاطُهَا فَأَنَّا لَهُمْ إِذَا جَاءَتْهُمْ ذِكْرَاهُمْ Do they then wait for anything other than the hour that it should come upon them suddenly but some of its portents have already come. Right, this is in Surah Muhammad. So hence it is referring to the first event or beginning of the hour that will come all of a sudden. So the hadith is the slave girl shall give birth to her master. The scholars have differed concerning the interpretation of the sign of the hour. Indeed, it is a difficult one to explain many of the signs of the hour that the Messenger ﷺ stated. In some cases, perhaps only those who actually live through the events being described will have a complete and correct understanding of what Muhammad ﷺ alluded to. For example, it may only be in modern times that one truly witnesses and understands what the Prophet ﷺ meant in another hadith where he said that females will be dressed, but they will be naked. Right? In today's time, I think we understand this hadith. We see this hadith. Correct? Subhanallah. We see it. Before modern times, the scholars could only think or try to imagine what is meant by this. But in our times, I think this is a reality. We see this in front of us all the time. So one of the scholars says that there are seven explanations for the sign mentioned by the Prophet ﷺ. Ibn Hajar Asqalani, he says that in reality, these seven opinions boils down to four separate and distinct opinions. Let us look at these four. Number one, Al-Khattabi mentions that its meaning is that Islam will spread, dominate the lands of the disbelievers and take their inhabitants as slaves. Then a man will have a child through his slave girl and that child shall be like her master because she is the daughter of her master. Anawawi says that this is the opinion of the majority of the ulama. So someone, he has a slave girl. This lady, that's his slave girl, she becomes pregnant with his child. The child that's born is her master. Understood? This is, Imam Nawawi says, this is according to the majority of the ulama. However, this interpretation is somewhat problematic. Ibn Hajar points out that such a thing existed during the time of the Prophet ﷺ as well. So the implication of the speech is that such an event will occur closer to the day of Qiyamah and will be a sign of its coming. Others give a slightly different interpretation by saying that a woman will give birth to a child and then that child will end up being the king of the land 
Hence, the woman will fall under his general citizenry. And he will be her master. Some even say that the king will later buy his own mother who was a slave. Either out of ignorance or knowingly. And then use her as a servant. Hence the mother has given birth to her own master. Number two. A second interpretation is that the slave girls who have given birth to their owner's children will be sold by the owners. There will be so much selling of women that the woman's own son will later buy her and not realize that it is his mother. Hence, the one she gave birth to will become her master. This is according to some ulama. And also, if a slave girl gives birth to a child, she cannot then be sold and she becomes free on her master's death. Hence, the sign of the hour reflects either ignorance of the laws of Islam or disdain for the laws of Islam in the latter years. However, some of the ulama say that such sales are permissible so that is neither a sign of ignorance nor disdain. Finally, to reconcile the two views, some say that the women are sold while they are pregnant, and this is absolutely forbidden according to the consensus of the ulama. Number three, a third interpretation is that a woman gives birth to a child. However, that child was not the result of a completely legal act of intercourse, such as the child being the result of fornication or an improper marriage. Then the mother is sold in a proper and correct manner and she continues to be sold until finally her, old chi- her own child buys her. The fourth interpretation is that children will disobey their mothers. The child will end up treating his own mother like a slave owner treats a slave girl, showing disdain, perhaps beating her, and in general treating her simply like a servant. In this case, her master is either figurative or in the sense of the one who brings up the other. This is the view that Ibn Hajar prefers. And we see this today as well. Right? See that children, disrespectful to their parents. Children wants to control the parent. And maybe years ago, we never saw this. But nowadays, it's become extremely rife. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us. And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, and you will see the barefooted, scantily clothed, destitute shepherds competing in constructing <coughs> lofty buildings. The point of this sign is, as, Al, as Imam Al-Qurtubi mentioned, that once again the affairs will be turned upside down. The Bedouins will be in charge, taken over by force, and having the wealth in their lands. The only concern after that will be competition and boasting in constructing tall buildings. Imam Al-Qurtubi, he passed away in the year 671 after Hijrah. Right? And he said that we have witnesses during this time. So what's still today? <laughs> right? If, they tall, if he said they witnessed tall buildings then, what do we see today? And don't we see people competing in it? Allah Musta'an. 
So in general, it means that those who are not qualified to be in charge and to have the wealth in their hands will be running the affairs and will be in control of the wealth. They will not know the proper way to deal with their wealth or how to run the affairs. Hence, they will waste their money in extravagance and frivolous pursuits. Other hadith of the Prophet ﷺ give the same impression of what will occur before the hour. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, The hour will not be established until the happiest of all people with this world is Luka bin or Ibn Luka. The name Luka, Ibn Luka means the most ignorant, stupid, yani foolish, the son of the most ignorant, foolish one. And in another hadith, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, if the trust is lost, then expect the hour. He was asked, how will the trust be lost? He answered, when the affairs are in the hands of those who are not qualified for it, then expect the hour. This is recorded in Bukhari. And if one looks at the word or the word naked, right? He uses the word naked in this hadith. However, Al-Qadi points out that it also applies to the person who has left a part of his body that should be covered, uncovered. This is the most likely meaning here and hence the translation is scantily clothed has been used and Allah knows best. ثُمَّنْ طَلَقَ فَلَبِثْتُ مَلِيَّ ثُمَّ قَالَ يَا عُمَرَ أَتَدْرِي مَنِ السَّائِلْ قُلْتُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَعْلَمُ قَالَ فَإِنَّهُ جِبْرِيلُ أَتَاكُمْ يُعَلِّمُكُمْ دِينَكُمْ So after this, the man, he walked off. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he waited for a while. The Prophet, peace be upon him, he said, O oh, Umar, do you know who that questioner was? Umar replied and he said, Allah and his messenger knows best. He said, that was Jibreel. He came to teach you your religion. This hadith is narrated by Imam Muslim. And subhanallah, Sheikh Uthaymin, he says, that he came to teach you the religion, although it was the Prophet ﷺ in reality who was teaching the religion. However, the Prophet, peace be upon him, called Jibreel the teacher. This is because he was the one who asked and the teaching was due to him. So one can conclude from this that the one who is the cause of something is similar to the one who does the direct act. When it comes to capital offenses, right? the jurists have derived the legal, the legal principle. The cause of the act is similar to the one who directly performs the act. For that reason, the Prophet ﷺ called Jibreel a teacher. Because he was the cause of the teaching of the religion of the Prophet, peace be upon him, through the responses to his questions. Secondly, 
if a person asks a question to which he knows the answer and he only asks so that people would know the answer, then he becomes a teacher. Right? And we find that today as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Someone, he comes. Afwan, we have a gathering. And there's maybe a Q&A, etc. So someone comes and he knows maybe what's the answer to the question, etc. But he still asks a question for the benefit of the people. So he becomes the teacher as well. And there's nothing wrong with us. But sometimes you find that we sit in gatherings and maybe some people are too shy. But someone else asks a question and that was maybe the question that you also had. <laughs> right? That happens. There's nothing wrong with this. And this is why many of the ulama, they have said that two people will never learn. The first person is that person that is shy. Never be shy. If you make a mistake, you make a mistake. That's why you're there to learn. To, right? That you are going to make mistakes. And the second person is that person that has kibar. Pride that no one will be able to teach me. And that brings us to the end of the hadith of Chibriyah. The next hadith, hadith number three. An Abdul Rahman ibn Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab. Radiyallahu anhuma qala. Sami'atu Rasulallah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yakul. Bunyal islamu ala khams. Shahadati Allah ilaha illallah. Wa anna muhammad rasulullah. وإقام الصلاة وإيتاء الزكاة وحج البيت وصوم رمضان On the authority of Abdullah, the son of Umar ibn Khattab, may Allah be pleased with him, he said that I heard the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say Islam has been built on five pillars testifying that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad, peace be upon him, is the messenger of Allah establishing the salah Paying the zakah, making the pilgrimage of hajj for those who are by the means, and fasting in the month of Ramadan. This hadith is muttafaqun alayh, agreed upon by Bukhari and Muslim. So this hadith is of extreme importance. Now you might remember in the previous hadith, hadith Jibreel, remember he asked, فَأَخْبِرْنِي عَنِ Islam And inform me of Islam. And then he says exactly, Tashadu Allah ilaha illallah. Right? And he mentions the five pillars of Islam. And what did I say? I said that we will look into this into more detail. The next hadith. And this is where we are now. So this hadith is of extreme importance. For it lays down the fundamental aspects of outward submission to Allah. This submission is based on some foundations in a way similar to a structure. If the person fulfills these aspects, he has laid down a solid ground or foundation for his religion as a whole. The other acts of Islam are completions or finishing touches to his excellent foundation. However, if a person is lacking in any of these pillars, then the entire structure may be threatened as shall be discussed in the commentary. Let's look at a building. 
Or look at anything, something small that you made. If the structure of that thing is not solid, what's going to happen? It's going to collapse. It's going to crack. It's going to fall down. You see sometimes the kids, the youngsters, maybe they're busy building blocks or something like that. But the bottom one is skew. And then what happens afterwards? Everything falls down. So like that, your foundation needs to be strong. And the first thing he says here is that, or the testimony of faith. Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah. Right? The kalima. And there is conditions for this kalima. So number one, one must have knowledge which negates ignorance. You must have knowledge of this kalima. You must know who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Number two, you must have certainty which negates doubt. You must be certain that you believe in Allah. You must have certainty in this kalima. You can't have doubts. Oh, one day I believe in Allah, next day I don't believe in Allah. No. Number three, sincerity and purity of intent which will negate shirk. You must have sincerity in this kalima. <coughs> you cannot utter this kalima, but then you make to to other than Allah. That's not sincerity. You must be truthful, number four, which negates hypocrisy. And number five, you must love and have devotion, which will negate the disdain of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Religion, meaning that you can't want to be Muslim, believe in this kalima, but you don't like the fact that you must make salah. You don't like the fact that you must wear hijab. You don't like the fact that you must grow a beard. So what does this do? This is showing disdain. Right? Showing dislike to Allah's deen, which is not allowed. And then we must have submission which negates disobedience. If we submit to this kalima, we submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what happens? We negate disobedience. And the last one, number seven, acceptance which negates rejection or denial. Right? You cannot reject or deny this kalima. And then carrying on, Right, the, of, with this hadith right, we spoke about the shahadatain and then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he speaks about what? he speaks about salah and Salah, my beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, is the foundation of our deen as well. And where do we get this from? We get this from, from the hadith of Mu'adh. When Mu'adh was sent to Yemen. Right? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he says to Mu'adh that the first thing you're going to teach the people is what? 
The first thing you're going to teach the people is the to believe in Allah. And once the people submit, then what are you going to do? You're going to teach them Salah. And this also, subhanallah, is the foundation of our da'wah. This is the foundation of calling people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first thing you call them to is what? Is tawheed. Is the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who Allah is to the shahadatain. To believe in Allah. To believe in the messenger. You can't want to give da'wah and you call the people to fast in the month of Ramadan first. He doesn't even believe in Allah. And this is a mistake that many organizations, many groups make. They call to the deen, but they don't call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. And salah is extremely important. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he explained to us, and in one hadith, he was quite severe, quite strict, where he says, Al-ahdu alladhi baynana wa baynahum as-salah, faman tarakaha faqad kafara. The contract or the act between us and them, meaning the kuffar, is what? Is salah. This is our difference. فَمَنْ تَرَكَهَا فَقَدْ كَفَرَ And whosoever leaves off salah, he has done what? He has disbelieved. And the lightest form of the punishment for the person that disbelieves is that of the madhab of Imam Abu Hanifa. Right? The Hanafi madhab. Where they say if someone does not make salah, they must come to him, they must call him to salah. If he's still not making salah, he must be imprisoned. Until he makes salah. If he does not make salah, he will stay in prison until he makes tawbah. If he doesn't make tawbah, he will die in prison. And, but he will die as a believer and he will be buried in the Muslim graveyard. Imam al-Shafi'i and Imam Maliki, right? The Maliki madhab and the Shafi'i madhab. Says that if a person does not make salah, he must be told to make salah. If he still refuses to make salah, he must be killed. He must be what? Killed. And then, still be buried as a Muslim. Imam Ahmad, or the, right, the Hanabila or the strictest, they say that if a person misses a salah, a person is lazy for salah, meaning he does not make salah at all, he dies as a kafir. And he must be killed and he mustn't be buried in a Muslim graveyard. Because to them, they've taken this hadith on face value. That whosoever leaves of salah, فَقَدْ kafara. He has disbelief. And this was the opinion of many of the sahaba as well. Right? Subhanallah. So this shows us the importance of salah. And then the next part in the hadith says, az-zakah. Right? To pay you zakah. And here we see that zakah 
and salah, they are very closely knit. In many places, Allah says in the Quran, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَآتُ الزَّكَةِ That establish salah and give your zakah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He also says, that فَإِن and if they repent, وَأَقَامُ الصَّلَاةِ And they establish their salah, وَآتَوُ الزَّكَةِ And they pay their zakah, فَإِخْوَانُكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ Then they are your brothers in religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He also says, وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ مُخْلِسِينَ لَهُ الدِّينِ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُ الصَّلَةِ And establish salah وَيُؤْتُ الزَّكَةِ And give your zakah وَذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيْمِ And that is the established deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And what is zakah? Zakah is عِبَادَةٌ مَالِيَّةٌ نَفْعُهَا مُتَعَدِّنْ وَقَدْ أَوْجَبَ اللَّهُ فِي أَمْوَالِ الْأَغْنِيَةِ عَلَى وَجْهِ يَنْفَعُ الْفَقِيرِ وَلَا يَدُرُّ الْغَنِيِّ لِأَنَّهَا شَيْءٌ يَسِيرٌ مِنْ مَالٍ كَثِيرٌ How much is zakah of your money? Two point? Two point five percent? No, two point five percent. Two point five percent of your wealth. And zakah is ibadah, it is worship. Maliyan, it is a monetary worship, meaning if you have a particular amount of money, just say you have 1000 rand and you add this 1000 rand for the year, and the nisab amount was maybe 500 rand, so you had a thousand rand, and nisab was 500 rand, so you take 2.5 percent. Right, because now you've reached Nisab, and then you take 2.5 of the thousand, and what do you do? You give that 2.5 to the person that is eligible for zakah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains the categories of the zakah, or those that must be given zakah in Surah to Tawbah. And also an important fact is, never for a moment think that zakah decreases your wealth. So take a middle class Muslim. Right? For him to give zakah maybe five, six thousand rand, seven thousand rand, it's okay. But now you have a rich person. <laughs> he must give a hundred thousand rand. He must give five hundred thousand rand. He must give a million rand. So what do some of them start to do now? Now they start playing with the zakah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want this. Right? Whatever is meant to give, be given in zakah, Many of the ulama, they say that one of the reasons of drought is that people withholds their zakah. One of the reasons of drought is that people do not pay their zakah. Then, he says, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he says, وَالصَّوْمُ Ramadan. And so Ramadan is ibadatu badaniya now. Now this is, what type of worship is this? This is a bodily worship. Staying away from food, staying away from drink, staying away from sexual relationship with your spouse. 
And what is so beautiful about Ramadan? وَهِيَ سِرٌ بَيْنَ الْعَبْدِ وَبَيْنَ رَبِّهِ Right? This is a secret. This is a sir, a secret between who? Between the slave and Allah. And none knows that you are fasting except who? Allah. Right? Someone can go. Right? They can go out for the day. Person can eat. Right? He's supposed to be fasting. He come back, you just rub his mouth or whatever, eat at the, sit at the iftar table. Mother thing, mashallah, what a beautiful child. He was fasting, but in the meantime, he ate. No one knows. So only between him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does he say about fasting? He says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu aw yuhu believe. Kutiba alaykum usiyam. Fasting is prescribed upon you as it was prescribed on those before you. La'allakum tattakoon. So that you may attain taqwa. And what do they say? What is taqwa? Right? Taqwa is... What did you say? Taqwa is the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Yes. And taqwa, as the salaf they would say, that taqwa is al-khawful jali. It is fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wal-amalu bitanzeel. And it is doing actions or following that which was sent down. What was sent down? The Quran. The Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? So it's fearing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is practicing of the Quran and the Sunnah. It is being content with what Allah has given you. And it is and preparing for the day or the journey and what day is that? what journey are we preparing us for? the day of death right? when we are going to die the day of Qiyamah so this is the definition of taqwa that many of the pious gave and also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says, or the right? He says that fasting is for me. Wa ajazi bihi. That fasting so so wa ajazi bihi. Fasting is for me, and I will reward the person that is fasting. Subhanallah. Right? And there's many lessons that we can take and that we can speak about the fasting. Then he says, Al-Hajju Baytillahi Al-Haram. And this is a combination of two. Remember we said Zakah was Ibadatu Maliyah. That was the worship with regards to our money. We said fasting was Ibadatu Badaniyah. Worship with regards to our body. But Hajj is Maliyah Wal Badaniyah. Correct? You spend money on Hajj, you spend money to go to Hajj, and it takes a physical 
part a physical strain on your body as well you need to do certain actions and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says about hajj al umratu ila al umrati kafaratun lima baynahuma wal hajj mabrur laysa lahu jazaa'un illa al jannah the Prophet, peace be upon him, he says that one umrah to the next umrah is an expiation for that which is between it. And an accepted hajj, there is no reward except what? Illa jannah. Except jannah. The Prophet said, Man hajja hadha al-bayt, whomsoever makes hajj of this house, falam yarfuth, walam yafsuk, raja'aka yawma waladathu ummu. Whomsoever performs hajj and he does not involve himself in any sin, he does not involve himself in quarrels, he does not involve himself in sexual relations with his spouse, he will return back as if or as like the day his mother gave birth to him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he also mentions that in the Quran that Hajj is what? That Hajj is compulsory for those who can afford. And Allah also mentions that He is free. He doesn't need our Hajj. But we need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of the benefits from this Hadith. That these five pillars that we mention are extremely important. And this is the foundation of Islam. Also, Islam is also based on the most important things. Start off with Tawheed, then Salah, then Zakah, then Fasting and then Hajj. Also, the last point the Sheikh gives, he mentions of the benefits. He says that our Salah is extremely important. And in the Hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he says that on the day of Qiyamah, Salah will be of the first things that Allah subhanahu wa taala will ask us about. We ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to guide and protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa taala to forgive our shortcomings. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.